Holy shit, do I have um, less words, but more just like emotional noises and shit, like... Ugh. Welcome to Vassals of Kingsgrave, review of House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 3. This is the Wolf Casted. We will not spoil anything past Game of Thrones Season 5. I am your host today, Sir Patrick the Toll. I am joined here today by Bina. Hey everybody, it's Bina007 on the Discord server. And also Elle. Guys, it's Elle, um, also on YouTube, Black Pearl of uh, Bravos. Also, we have Kevin. Hello, it's Uncle Kevin, and I'll spoil irrelevant text. Oh, cool. The Mystery Night is actually about a Black Fire plot. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, Wing Shadow on the Discord server. We are, oh, we are also graced by Jock's present. I guess I will spoil um, random uh, academic texts that are obscure and completely nonsense that go in left and the out of a dragon. We will look forward, forward to that then. We also have, of course, Michael. Hey, Kalwadegi on the Discord. And lastly, this time it is, this time, lastly, uh, Marie. Hi everyone, it's Mary, now Mary on the forums, Discord, whatever. <laughs> so, this was a very good episode, I think. It's an episode where we see a battle, which is good. We see some, some politicking, which is also good. And um, some character development, definitely. So, if I was to ask you, um, to ask you, Bina, what would your lemon cake rating for this episode be? It's not good. And I feel that when I was listening to our Brothers in Arms over at Dragoncast, and Katie was really against, who are these people who don't like this, who are bored? I was like, oh, Katie, it's me. It's me. That's who it is. And I found this a real disappointment after the first two episodes, which I think I ranked in the fours. I would give this a two and a half. And I found myself asking, what of this could have been skipped over? What of this was obvious? So we can get into it in our discussion, but I found a lot of this just, we get it. She can't be queen because she's a girl. We get it. The dad's vacillating. There's a battle, which I thought was a bit nonsensical. I don't know. I just, this was a very meh episode for me, but I'm curious to see what you'll think. Oh. I feel like I'm being very stingy with lemon cakes uh, especially really with the last two episodes and I believe I rated those a four but I'm gonna have to go lower this one with 3.75 if I can parse them out like that and some of what Bina just mentioned I also kind of was like what could we had skipped more so in the half in the second half absolutely enjoyed the battle i think that's how i was able to give it the 3.75 anyway uh especially the last act i kept going on what could have been skipped in the first half so the reason why it's lower the previous previous um for the last two episodes heaven all right i this is my first time getting the podcast about an episode and i really like the first two but i think i have to give this one a three I just felt like there were some really great moments. Um, I thought that I thought that a lot of the main themes of A Song of Ice and Fire rang true in a lot of ways. There were a lot of sort of the concepts that George likes to play with, like the cost of power and victories filling hollow sometimes, and uh, a really good Knights of Summer moment, I thought, uh, with Lanor on the dragon. But the way the battle scene played out, to me, was very late Game of Thrones-esque. It didn't build suspense and resolve in a very realistic way, I felt. And that that really takes me out of an episode. It, it, it was almost a red flag to me. Hey, uh, Michael. Kevin, damn it, you stole all of my lines. I have to also give this a three out of five lemon cakes. Uh, lavish, but rather slow hunt scene, for which I have to uh, deduct at one full lemon cake for the bonkers tactics that ended this episode in the battle. And I would say this was outright a, a red flag for me, wondering, like, uh, is this how future battles are going to take place? Oh, uh, it was, yeah, I was kind of 
not shocked, but I was just wondering what was going on at the end. Um, what about you, Marie? Um, I actually, I actually quite liked it. <laughs> so now I'm feeling stupid for liking it, but that's fine. I guess uh, I'd give it a four because I, I don't have a very strong opinion against it. I liked seeing more of Rhaenyra. I liked, I liked seeing a bit more dragons. Actually, I think I might be confusing episodes two and three in my head because I watched them back to back. So, yeah, I also agree with your points. Um, and I hated the animal violence in all this because I would, I, I, I really prefer seeing people killing other people than people killing animals. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yeah, um, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. I feel bad for everyone invo- everyone involved because they're all so doomed. Well, how about you, Jock? I also liked it. I'm a bit of the opposite to like, the, the battle was good, but the last wasn't so good. I really liked the last. The battle was a bit disappointing for me. I feel like um, I'm already fed up with dragons. I feel like they're already oversaturated. Like in the books, they were sort of like nuclear bombs, whereas in this, they're literally all over the place. So I find that quite annoying. Again, with lots of violence, that could have probably been toned down a bit. But um, um, I quite liked uh, more like the acting with the hunt. Like I like seeing the Lannisters again, and also I really like seeing pugs in Westeros. I'm not sure how like the selective breeding in Westeros works. How they um, I've figured out how to selectively bleed for pugs, but um, haven't they always that incest is bad yet? So, quite an interesting development in terms of like their genetic understanding, but still cool to see a pug in Westeros. Very so interesting. I'll, yeah. So I'll so give it a five. A five. That's good. Yeah, well, let me round it out then. I also liked this episode. I think I liked it more than the other two. And I'm saying this not because of the the uh, fighting scene, although I was thoroughly entertained for the most part until I started, you know, looking at the details about, you know, why why were why were they so, so surprised about dragons and stuff like that. But apart from that, I was in, entertained by the uh, the uh, stepstones bits, and when it came to Viserys and Reyna and Kristen Cole. And Jason Lannister, uh, that guy, they were they were characters that I could either like or dislike or feel empathy with. I think for most part, I'm I'm getting into the characters more now than I was before, and and seeing vulnerable sides to to them, and uh, you know, getting more actors to the roster. I think that's very good. So I would give it a four as well. I know. So mine's not a lemon cake rating so much as a. <laughs> I think there's more I don't like about this episode than I do. Um, I feel like everything that I have liked about the show so far, they changed. Like I really liked the way the weirwood tree and the god's eye at King's Landing was huge in the first episode, and it's like, did they do a different set, or is it the way they shot it? It seemed really small again. Everything of foreshadowing that they were doing that was neat was kind of stripped away. I, I just feel like they should have just started the story 20 years later af- after the casting change. I, I feel like they're rushing through this at such a pace that the actors aren't even able to keep up with their own character development. And it all felt really forced and false. And I I don't care for it. The whole tension between... Allison and Rhaenyra and that pissy little with the minstrel in the godswood was so contrived and like you guys were saying the looks of the battles and things were there's a couple of shots when Damon on Dragonback if I didn't know better I would have said we're from season eight with him superimposed onto a different dragon body but the action of it was borrowed from that and it just, it's not a high quality. They should have either taken the time to tell the full story or just jumped ahead to when Viserys is dead and the princess and the queen, you know? I just, I'm not liking it. I'll, I'll give it a chance still, but I didn't, this episode sucked it out for me. Oh, you had a comment? 
just really quickly, um, I can acknowledge uh, the battle was probably um, more of a dragon fan service, um, action sequence service, than as opposed to, you know, kind of moving a plot along or really integral to the part of the story. Um, absolutely. But one observation that, that I did have, um, I was watching with my husband, Unsullied, and in the beginning when Damon uh, comes and uh, with Caraxes uh, right there to uh, confront the crab feeder, uh, he just kind of made the mention of like, th that's a dragon. Why are they, how are they losing and how are they having such a hard ass time? You know, doesn't look like much of a fight or, you know, much of a, you know, battle for them. And the whole nuclear weapons thing, dragons are, you know, they're nukes. What's the problem? And it kind of reminded me of the Dornish Wars where uh, Aegon the Conqueror and how the Martells and their guerrilla style kind of combat fighting was such a pain in the ass to Aegon and uh, to the crown and how that was something a dragon did not help at all in that situation. So, you know, with the triarchy uh, fighters kind of melting back into the cave and then kind of coming out and melting back, I mean, and that one scene where Caraxes is breathing fire in this little narrow hole and it just it did. It looked very ineffectual and kind of had them looking like going in circles and chasing their tails and kind of flailing around a bit. So that really kind of brought me back to, oh, you know, that kind of looks like how it went down with the Dornish and the Red Mountains and in the Bone Way. You know, they just had such a difficult time with those kind of guerrilla style tactics that, um, you know, clearly the Dorn couldn't overcome, you know, dragons and the crown, you know, on its own. So that is kind of what they had to kind of, you know, kind of relegate to. So uh, I thought that was right away. It reminded me of the Dornish War. Right the away. only thing I would say in response to that, L, which I think is it's all great points and probably speaks to your better knowledge of the text than me, was that I had exactly the same reaction as your rather half, where I looked at this and thought, how on earth is he mired there for sort of three years when he has dragons? I mean, either he's supremely incompetent I mean, it just, not, nothing about both the sort of top-down strategy level macro situation of, of, of what's going on there, or the sort of, the way they choreographed the micro battle made sense to me. And I feel that you shouldn't have to know about like some history of Dornish sort of guerrilla wars to get why this doesn't work, because this, this to all intents and purposes just looks like the sort of the Normandy landings, right? It's just a a beach invasion of an island. This is just China taking them on Taiwan. This this shouldn't be that hard for the casual or indeed the deeply inset viewer to understand. And it's one of the reasons I really marked down this episode. I'll add to that. If if the crab feeder is stuck in the caves, then he's not doing the thing that's a menace to the realm. Like he, he's not controlling the shipping lane. If he's if he's having to hide in the caves from the dragons for months and years on end. So that does kind of lend one to think that how could they be like I can understand how they can't like finish the deed but they shouldn't be outright losing that they're worried about themselves being fed to the crabs and all that but I, I think the bigger thing for the battle for me was just um the way that it was uh, choreographed probably the right word and I, I thought it was interesting that Marie was not as hard on it having not watched the later seasons of Game of Thrones just because bad battle choreography and sort of like making the main characters wear gigantically thick plot armor was just a hallmark of the show after the books. Like, um, without spoiling anything, I mean, it's just bad choreography. Like, I think about early in the in Game of Thrones and early in the books, um, John talking to Mance Raider and how much suspense is right there without having to have him constantly stand and volleys of arrows go around his entire body. Right? Like, you build that suspense in a realistic way and. It was the same thing with Damon. He he walks out by himself and a whole army charges him and arrows are being notched and flung at him and he's just fine. Nothing hit, you know, he gets hit by a couple, but he still can fight. Um, and it's just like, I don't know, that that kind of stuff really takes me out of an episode because I love Lord of the Rings and you accept that the main characters are overpowered in Lord of the Rings, but it's one of the attracting things about the, this universe that they're not. And Damon... Walk, that whole way that played out just takes me right out of what I love about this universe. Yeah. And it didn't help that right. really nothing came of that anyway. Crab Feeder ended up being quite underwhelming. 
Yep. I really would have preferred a staggered approach to this war where at the start of the episode, say, they're just annihilating these ships, burning them up. Then as you get later cut-ins back to the War of the Stepstones, they mention that, oh, they're not fighting us directly now. They've learned to, to run away when they see the dragons and they're resorting to guerrilla tactics. And then by the end of the episode, it's like, oh, we're having a, a problem of uh, whack-a-mole where we can't keep the stepstones under lockdown that's causing trouble for us like that would have been an interesting progression to show the limitations of the dragons but we got none of that um uh, yeah well should we move into it then so i've i've chosen to uh to instead of doing scene by scene and place by place i'm, I'm ch i've chosen to divide it into our main characters that being renera viserys otto hightower alicent and Damon last, but we've talked a lot about Damon, but we'll round up by talking again about it. So um, I'll start out by uh, giving a primer, and then we can uh, talk about Rhaenyra and, and the scenes she was in. So the princess of Dragonstone, Rhaenyra, is even more estranged to her father, the king, three years later. She receives an order to join the, the royal hunt, but is hunted herself first by an overeager. Lannister, secondly by a boar. She deals with both even and even chooses to spare the king of the Kingswood. Back at the Red Keep, she again has an earnest conversation with her father, in which she she is promised the realm and the ability to choose her own king consort. Well, thanks, Dad. Okay, so she is miffed even three years later, and and seems like she's not really talked to anyone. For three years? I don't think she's talked to no one, but I think her conversations with Alicent and Viserys have been uh, limited, let's say. Yeah, and I think they make a point to say she hasn't been around Damon in a long time. And that's, like, when you think about who can who she can relate to at court, it's Damon. And they have this thing in between them right now. So that, that wasn't really explicitly stated in the book, but I thought it was a really good thing for the show writers to pick up on, that Rhaenyra had this period of being very kind of alone at court after her mother died and, you know, Viserys doing whatever. So I, I, I really like that direction they went. I think it made a lot of sense. Also, maybe showing a bit of her isolation, disassociation with everything at court and her father and Alicent and her brother. Yeah, and maybe, maybe uh, this just is foreshadowing that she does take offense quite easily and, and will stay angry for a, for a long while. And not necessarily seeking any reconciliation, if uh, even if you know, even even uh, even for a long while after. Yeah, and she's so guarded talking to Viserys. Even mm. you know, even when he opens up, she's very she does not let her walls down at all. How about that, Lord Jason Lannister? I started out by just writing. Yes. <laughs> he's give, he's giving some weird looks, and then it oh my, and then it went went into oh boy, yuck, and then yeah, <laughs> real scumbag alert. Yeah, can I just say something quickly before we go into um Jason Lannister, who is obviously a dirtbag, which is another thing I didn't like about this episode is it felt like once uh, Renera lost Alison, she had no other friends. And how realistic would it be? I mean, even if it was only ambitious people trying to court her for their own advantage, this is the announced heir to the kingdom. Surely she'd have ladies in waiting, she'd have other confidants. I mean, I get narratively they're trying to isolate her, but it just felt, I don't know, bizarre. I mean, she's just wandering around basically on her own. I just felt I that wonder, was clumsy. I wonder how different it was for a Targaryen in that situation compared to like Marjorie Tyrell, right? Like, because we know. One thing we know about Rhaenyra from the books and we've seen in the show is she likes to just go ride her dragon. So maybe she just kind of already has a lonely streak that and a penchant to just go away on her own that sort of takes that, reduces that element. You know, I agree there should be some, but I don't know that she would have found a confidant or not. I mean, I think I think she isolated herself more than anything else. And I also think that three years jump is is not good because they have to show us like at the beginning of the episode I was like I, I want to see Rhaenyra's reaction to the wedding and and the conflict and the tension because of that but it doesn't really make sense three years later that she would still be that angry and that alone 
the issue is there. It's not it's not that she's alone, it's that she's still alone after three years. I I really agree with Bina here because and this was like one thing that just really got me. The the tension between so they paint Allison's character as like bitchy and high minded of herself and not her friend. It's like why ever play it from the angle that they were friends then? Why show us that? And then Rhaenyra is just kind of acting spoiled, really. And it doesn't make me feel any kind of way about either of the two characters. It's it's not a good take on things. And this episode really makes me think they could have started the show in 109 mm. when Damon comes back. They could have done a big prologue for the first episode, you know, a good 20-minute long prologue. Maybe this is their prologue. You know, you've got unlimited money. Maybe they feel they can take their time. The other, the other thing I would say is it doesn't reflect well on Otto Hightower if he's meant to be this grand strategist who I suspect will turn out like Tywin Lannister to have greater opinions of his own strategy than the reality. Because if you saw, you know, your end game is you want your grandchildren on the throne. You know that there's no rest. You, you think on one hand the fact that they have penises, ultimately they will prevail. But you know that she is the nation's delight, etc. Wouldn't you try and cozy up to her and make her feel like hey, it's your best friend, your dad's happy, this is best for the realm. Wouldn't you try and like bring her into the fold? I mean, right. obviously he then does with some cockamamie marriage scheme, but you would have thought, keep your enemies close, your friends close and your enemies closer, that he would have been almost sycophantically trying to cozy up to her, not just leaving her to her own devices, because it's just happenstance that Damon's off fighting a war and not corrupting and wooing her. I mean, they've, let, they've left a very powerful woman with the anointed claim just to her own devices. That seems to me tactically very, very dumb indeed. Well, and they already know that Damon has a bone to pick with it. So why would you why would you allow tension to be sown? Like that conversation he has with Sir Lionel is great, but I'm sitting there watching like that's a conversation you need to be having with your daughter. And then when they finally get in a room together, they don't have it. And it just feels forced and and really out of character. Books aside, I mean, we know what's in the books, but even just within the context of the show, if it was a standalone material, I don't think that I would be over the moon about this. It And, and it was all very acty acting and just r- truly unbelievable. It didn't make sense. Mm, I don't agree, but uh, I, don't, I don't I didn't think that it was bad acting or anything. I think I think generally I. I saw the scene as him being showing him again being the one who tries to please first one part of one group and then another group and then and that's showing how weak he actually is as a as a ruler and and, and that and I think they did it perfectly and they continue to show him as a weak person and showing Alicent as they're trying to build her up definitely we can we'll get more into that but but showing that he needs help from whomever can offer it and right now his his most trusted com- confidant is not working on his side you ne- he needs the random strong to to give him good advice and actually his wife also gives fairly good advice i agree with you patrick i don't think it's bad acting in fact i think paddy considine is incredibly strong in this series because viserys could be an incredibly unlikable character and i think he shows real pathos you know, a man who understands he's caught between a rock and a hard place, a deep, probably quite an empathetic man who uh, evidently feels guilt and regret over what happened to his wife. He realizes that he's being forced to do things he doesn't like, who probably sympathizes with his daughter, but just really wants the whole to shut the whole world out. And I think it's a great portrait. I just think there's some bad writing, not really around his character, but more around fine, isolate Rhaenyra. Is it credible? And also with Otto, I think it, it has implications for Otto. I think it's just bad writers run planning, to be honest. Um, Maybe I that's actually, why it feels disjointed and, yeah. and disingenuous to me, because it's just not, it's not developed. Yeah, it's I not a flushed any... out thing. Yeah, exactly. And you had so much time. I mean, the whole... This episode only has two plot arcs, right? It has Damon on Stepstones having another little boy tantrum. And you have Rhaenyra. Those are the two stories. And one half of them, I feel the Rhaenyra one is just badly fleshed out, even though it's got basically 30 minutes of screen time. So that's not good. So I did I did really like the symbolism around Rhaenyra, though. Like, I, I mean, I know it connects back to the, the greater world, but I, I really kind of love that she killed 
she kills a boar. Um, and knowing that that's, you know, that's what killed Robert Baratheon in a Game of Thrones. And the fact there's something about the air being like actually being out at the hunt with the king and she kills the thing that we know later kills another king that just makes it seem very like um, she is a worthy heir. And like, even if Kristen Cole helped, it's like she's engendering loyalty from the right people. Um, and just something about that. And then like coming back with that, that killed boar just really to me was sort of this like symbolic way of saying she is a worthy, worthy heir, um, which I think plays well with her character in general as we move on in the series, because she is such a, she's a very classical Targaryen, right? Like she's very into the Valyrian history and her and Damon speaking high Valyrian to each other. Like, I think that, and that sort of ends up being a lot of the conflict later on that you feel is like you have these more Westerosi and old Targaryens in the greens and then these um, more Valyrian Targaryen. Um, and so I, I felt all of that sort of played together like symbolically to sort of paint who she is as the heir and as the story moves forward. I will say, Kevin, that is the one part that I did like. Marie, to your point, the animal violence is never comfortable, and I do appreciate that. But there's two pieces of visual symbolism with the boar that I really appreciated. Earlier in the episode, you get this sense of like, why, you know, I don't, she's saying to Kristen Cole, I don't want to have heirs. I don't want to be a broodmare. And it's very like Queen Elizabeth I, I'll paint my face white, but hers is painted red. And then as she returns to camp, the blood in her hair, she has that fiery white hot Targaryen hair with the blood mixed in. And I'm not sure if that was a on purpose choice, but that's what I took out of it. And I, I did like that. Well, I like that as well. I mean, it's, it's, I didn't because I, I, it's, it's uncomfortable, but, um, and I, I would rather not uh, have to watch that, but, um, but, uh, but it was very powerful and uh, I liked the imagery as well. And like in such stark comparison to her father, right? Like her father kills the, the one stag because it's expected of him and he doesn't have the fortitude as a person to say, this is so messed up. Like you can tell he doesn't want to do it. And he's indecisive. It takes two blows. The way Patty acted it out, it's fantastic. And then you see Rhaenyra when she sees the, the white heart and just not even like you, you see the decisiveness. She knows there's no reason to harm this animal. It's not attacking us. Um, and just, she has the firmness of, of a strong monarch. And I, I thought that was very cool. Yeah. I, I, I would actually give this almost the same point. I think that, it's obvious to see that they're related. Then she has aspects of her of uh, Damon, and she has aspects of Viserys. But she is a stronger person than than her father. I, I like that the, that they both did like did find violence like dis- distasteful, at least against animals like that. But she chose to defend herself. When you get through that that first bit of, of violence, you need to do to defend yourself. It, it's for her, she's sort of like succumbed to the violence. It's it's interesting to see where that will take her. But uh, I think the main thing that those two scenes were to show was that they have the same. They are very very alike. She just is is better at you know the things that she, that the king is suspect expected to, and and she's also a, a, she's also kingly in the portent that she actually found the wine stake. Well. Yeah, but I'm not sure I agree with why she doesn't kill it. To me, it's also, what's the message if she kills it? It does mean that she's regal. Does it go with everyone else saying that it's a, a sign that uh, Aegon uh, is the future king, right? So I'm not sure she cares all that much about not being violent to animals, to be honest. I think it was more like recognition between two regal characters and letting the beast go in peace also because she doesn't she prefers it if it's a bad omen that they didn't kill white uh, stag on their hand well didn't didn't she specifically say in the carriage that she did dislikes it uh, dislike harming animals she like says it's it more you know i'm bored with this and i don't like it when they scream like children rather mm. than to me, she's annoyed more more than she's um, disgusted with it. Mm, maybe 
Um, Looking at the Rhaenyra and Viserys arc, which uh, uh, takes up the bulk of this episode, uh, something that I've just realized would which bothers me, is it's basically a rehash of episode one. Viserys has done something that Rhaenyra's pissed about, Rhaenyra's pissed, and then at the end of the episode they make up. And that's really all the character development that takes place in this episode for that arc. And when you look at the hunt, the beautiful lavish hunt with the entire court, there were so many characters that I would have loved to get so much more of, like Harwin Strong, Laris Strong, even Jason Lannister and what a douchebag he can be. But like these are important characters that will um, play big roles in the dance. And they really just have like one speaking line and that's about it. Tywin too, Tywin Lannister. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Michael. It is very repetitive, and I think I kind of enjoyed it kind of as I was watching it insofar as it's well acted, but I got to the end of the episode and it just felt hollow and empty because I thought, oh, we did that already, right? Why was this here? Why did we not fast forward on this part of the relationship? So, um, yeah, it's it's very... It felt to me like wasted precious time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't agree. I think... That's okay, though, Patrick. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's. I think I've really liked Viserys, and I really liked Venera in the way they 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 you know dealt with it. I, yes, I think that of course we could have. It doesn't make that much sense that she was went around being angry and alone for three years. Of course, that's I, I read read it uh, wrote it in my show notes as well. But I think what came out of that was really interesting, and I, I loved seeing him. You know, almost being Roberty in his way of being a king for for a short while, he was, you know, teetering on the edge of of you know acting like Robert Baratheon, and that was I liked that about it. He because it showed him that with the right sort of counsel, with the right sort of people around him, he can get away from a situation where he ends up. You know, Robert was not surrounded by people who who wanted the best for for him or the realm. And I'll add of the Robert comparison. Remember that Robert had 15 good years because he had an effective hand. And I mean, I know being on Fastcast has talked about seeing like government actually somewhat working. Like yeah, Otto has his scheming, but he is helping the realm run somewhat. Like there's maybe some rot in the realm, but it's not like it, it, it's not like the last portion of Robert's rule where you just have no one useful in council and no one who can curb the ambitious people um, cause Otto does at least, he might be in the King's ear, but he's making sure that there's not six other people also as much in the King's ear. Like he's, he's at least kind of keeping governance somewhat together. And maybe it's just in the nature of being a hand. If you're not a hand who's from the family that you're, you know, in the King's ear and plotting for your family's advancement. I mean, I don't necessarily think that's unrealistic. Um, just one final comment before we move off of Rhaenyra that I do think it's very deliberate probably to show her covered in blood at the end, partly just to show viscerally she's much more uh, queenly than her father. She's much more willing to act. But I, I do think that, and they commented on this in Dragoncast, it is interesting to notice that she is just so detached at the moment. She's almost like defeatist. Like she's just like, they'll never let me rule. This, is, this sucks, it's unfair, but she's not fighting for it. And if she were to fight for it, maybe she would have fought for the symbolism of killing the stag and taking it to court. Right. And saying, hey, this is this is what I do. This is what being king is. And I, I find that a bit of a missed opportunity for her. And in a sense, her father's her this cheerleader. He's the one saying, look, marry who the fuck you want. But you need to have some boy heirs with penises because these people are going to come at you. I can't stop it. I will back you insofar as I can. But your claim will be a lot stronger if you're married to a law that they respect and you have you have heirs who are male. So his advice isn't invalid. And he's almost like giving her a pep talk that. There's so much I can do, daughter. Get off your ass and support your own claim rather than bitching about it and disconnect it. But it's so hard to be a princess. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of... What was that film a few oh, years back, really... maybe a decade back, called Hustle and Flow? And it was it won an Oscar. It won some Oscars. But there, there was a lead song in there that was... The title was, It's Hard Out There for a Pin. That's the one. <laughs> and that was... And it's not a bad song. It was literally running through my head when I saw Rhaenyra being all like Kevin the teenager, like, oh, no one will give me a crown. And her dad, who, let's face it, is not the most ambitious man in the world, saying, maybe you need to, like, fuck someone and have, have a dynasty, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
I feel like this episode could have been structured in a different way that would have made a lot more sense and given us more tension, like more like, oh, who do we root for here? If they had had the conversation that he has with Lionel, if that had been on the eve of like when they first arrive, right? And not at the f- the feasting and everything. And Rhaenyra were to overhear it. And there were to have been a similar exchange in the small council chambers later take place then before she goes off with Kristen. Still not truly satisfied, you know, asking. Because she smiles when he offers her to pick her own marriage, to make her own match. But then she walks away without saying anything. And, and it's almost like, well, prove it to me somehow. If that whole interaction had taken place first and then she were to have found the white stag and killed it or i'm sorry and left it left it alive but for her father to kill as a test of will he publicly declare we should take this as a sign of my reign and my reign you know my heir of rhaenyra living long and prosperous that might have been a, a better way to paint his support for her and other tensions in the realm without hyperly pointing to it through dialogue or having yeah. the most creepy character in the effing world in Jason Lannister appear. Like, I just think we, we there's, do, there's do, a lot more that could have been done. I'll use the phrase most creepy character in the world because we do come from the world of Game of Thrones. So we know there are far creepier characters out there, Pe- right? Peter File. Well, the creepiest. Jason I think Lannister's the crab basically he's just like a a preening vain kind of a guy, but in the in the vast in this you, could, you could get married to. This is not the worst person you could marry. The thing I that freaked me out most about him was just the idea that Castle Lost Rock is bigger than the wall. I was like, what? Wait, what? Huh? That feels weird. Right. Bragging. Taller than the high tower. And I was like, uh say what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Start making claims about your dick next. But apparently, um, according to Law Masters who've read the worlds of Ice and Fire, this is actually it is known. This is actually true. Hey, why isn't um, the wall hundred feet tall? Or something well, so, so remember the rock is not the castle. Like they've the there's like a castle underneath a gigantic rock, right? So I think what they're saying is the like natural gigantic rock is taller than those things, but they don't actually go up there. Isn't the castle it's on top mountain. of the rock? Yeah, isn't no, the castle a... on top of the rock? Isn't it yes. on the bottom? No, I think no, it's the rock. Inside, castle the rock. When you look at the world of ice and fire, they have the the carvings, and it basically looks like the castle rock has been carved from top to bottom with a little watchtower at the top. I mean, I think actual ships, large ships, can kind of come under. There's like the uh, large, like barge or dock or something under the rock. But yeah, that... there's a harbor. There's a harbor yeah. where ships can pass through. Yeah, isn't that isn't that Lannis Ro- Lannisport? No, La- Lannisport. I think is like below, like down under okay, the hill right. or whatever. Yeah. In any case, he he likes to brag, and uh, but he didn't like uh, his future wife to be covered in blood. I, did you did you guys notice the ill uh, face he had when when she came and had blood in her face? Yeah, I like that. I um, very much yeah, enjoyed. Yeah, he's not he's not going to cope well with childbirth, is he? That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> if we if we're already into Viserys as well, I just want to add one thing that I think they do paint Lionel Strong as as being a like an honest man and and a very giving like. As I said, hashtag strong advice. He's still not my strong, but I I I, I like him more and more. I mean, I'm I'm actually liking the character apart from how he is in the books. Like how little we get in the books. My imagination of how he was in the books. I'll add one other thing on the series. I kind of wonder how meta the setup of this episode was. Like to frustrate us with Viserys. Like I almost wonder if it's like this high concept thing of like. Okay, you're going to be annoyed by watching this man just not say what he means and be vacillating, and you just want him to have a frank conversation for 30 minutes. Like, I, I do wonder if that was like meant to build Even up our frustration. Even if it I, were, I mean, I, I say this a lot about films when I review them. You can, you can make a boring a film about boredom that isn't of itself boring, and you can make a film about someone who is annoying without yourself being annoying. And I. I actually don't find him annoying. I find him deeply sympathetic, but I can yeah. see how you would. Um, I think 
I, I do also wonder if it's deliberate or a failure of writing that it feels like this is the first conversation he's had with her in three years since the last one we saw on the show. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's if that's a failure of writing or if that's their intent. And that's what makes me nervous. The fact that I'm having to, as I watch it, get taken out of the show by wondering, is this deliberate or uh, like, what is the intent here? I'm not in the show, which I was in the previous two episodes. This one, I really did not feel present. And I wondered if it had a different writer or maybe I was just in a different mood. I don't know. Full, fully agree, Bina. That was my experience as well. I was on board with the last two. I was very invested. And this one, I just kept... I actually, there was a couple of like mundane, real life related things that popped into my head at a couple points and I, I turned it off and I went and bought something on Amazon and it's just like not, not engaged. And I, it was the writing, I think, in the structure. It just was very disjointed. Well, let's, uh, let's just, if, are there anything else about Viserys? Cause I would like to just quickly go by Otto and Alicent just so we could have, uh, a talk about their their you know dynamic right now because it seems mm. it's, it's changed a little but uh, there's still something there that i don't like to talk about so the hand uh, Otto is is sort of being pressured by his 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 lord brother to, yeah to make to make it official that uh, his grandson will be heir and then he just passes the buck to his daughter uh are they trying to humanize him and trying to give him like so, is this has this always been just his brother's work or is he is is he autonomous in this uh does he have agency i have this one that they're trying to exactly mirror and Boleyn, whose father obviously did pimp her out to henry the eighth but it was really her uncle Howard of Duke of Norfolk, who was really behind it. And I know that George R. R. Martin has said that this this particular part of the story is the most clearly based on that Anne Boleyn. So Back it's in uh episode one, right, when he's about to go tell Alison to go wear your mother's dress and go see the king, he passes that note and uh the, the message and says, Take this to Old Town immediately, which implies close communication, I guess, with his brother. Yeah. As far as Allison goes, I do think that the scene that she and Viserys have in his chambers with the note, she does seem she does seem like a very good wife, very supportive. She, you know, he throws the missive down in front of her and she asks, you know, well, may I read it? She doesn't just start to read it. And I think that those moments where she seems very supportive and knowing her place and her role and just trying to be a good wife and a good mother and serve the realm are really undone by some of the other scenes where she's acting a little smarmy toward Rhaenyra. And I wish that they had done more to uh, build up the fact that Alicent is really caught between a, a rock and a high, and a high place. Or, um, or, I mean, excuse me, a hard place, <laughs> you know, with the decisions made by the men in her life for her life. I wish that they had done a little more to, you know, just demonstrate that she's just a person with not a lot of agency on her own and give her character a little more of now that she does have some agency as the queen, she's trying to be gracious in the situation. This is her very good friend. They grew up together, never expecting any of these things to happen. And could it have been portrayed a little more sympathetically and uh, solemnly i feel like it could have so it's this weird juxtaposition between those private moments with viserys and then the ones that she has with court folks and rhaenyra are i don't know they just feel very non-sequitur to me in this episode okay i don't agree again uh at all and i'm sorry that i'm i'm so so mr contrary well, color me shocked patrick <laughs> no but seriously it's, it's no, I'm, she, not, I'm, I'm not bothered by it you're fine yeah it's it's for me it's she she seems like a person that's caught in between a a you know a messed up friendship and what she knows what kind of role she needs to play she looks like she she wants to reconciliate she wants to you know she goes to to Rhaenyra to sort of persuade her to come to the 
the, the, the hunt without any more problems. She's not like lording it over her. But, she, but when, when Vernera starts to be contrary as she is, she's, she ends up being as their relationship was before. She was also a bit pushy sometimes, but that was part of their friendship. Uh, I don't think that it's, it's out of character. I, I think that because they have this weird dynamic now that it's weird that you're fucking my father. That's what is ruining it. And that's what we're feeling. That's it's weird for her, but she does try to support her every time she's like, well, maybe we should ask, uh, ask, um, Renera about the, what's happening on the stepstones. Uh, even when Viserys says something like, I thought it would, would help uh, mend the wounds that ha that happened that was between me and 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 my daughter she said she started out by saying well it, it did and then and then he cut her off and start start rambling about something else but she she's always supportive of supportive of that relationship and trying to keep them together yeah they actually they gave her Aegon the second's eventual line of what kind of brother steals his sister's birthright she says am i supposed to be raising a man that does that and I think it was interesting to present Hobart Hightower as sort of the pressure on his brother. Just to kind of back up, one thing with the show that I thought that they would need to do is present the Greens a bit more sympathetically than they're presented in most of the histories. And so I was a little bit shocked that they were so quick to just show that the Hightowers right off the bat are scheming to get Aegon on the throne. They're pretty loud about it. And even that Hobart is like, what is he doing saying Aegon second of his name? Even if even if he's the name heir, he's not he's not that yet. He's not Aegon second of his name until he takes the throne. And to say that, knowing that's one of the very few things that gets that brings out the dragon in Viserys, like I that was wild to me. But so I, I did feel like that was a little bit maybe not the direction they needed to go to like show them that way, but I also think that part of the tragedy of this show is meant to be that all these externalities tear apart Rhaenyra and Alison, which is not present in the books, but I do think is a good story arc for those two, you know, event, what eventually become pretty much the most powerful women in the realm. Like, and I think this idea of sort of showing all these externalities that are just preventing a simple conversation from happening is a pretty powerful thing. I, I do agree with your first point there, Kevin. And as you were speaking, it kind of struck me that, they could have done more to draw together the imagery and idea of Corliss in the last episode talking to Damon about being a second son. They they could have done more to amplify the fact that given Viserys's position and the fact that all the vassals and lords of the realm have bent the knee to Rhaenyra, it renders Aegon kind of like a second son. And that fear for his position is you know, could be painted more of a driving force for the conflict coming later. They could have done more to set that up as the tension, not just the regular run-of-the-mill schemes and plot. It, this story has so much more nuance. It's what fascinates us about the histories, right? There's a big chunk of the world book dedicated to this. There's how many companion texts from the anthologies that he's written on this topic. It's a, a very fascinating time. Um, very, you know, Plantagenet and, uh, you know, Wars of the Roses. And I just think you, they could have done better to paint Alicent more like a Margaret Tudor. Like, if if my son is not on the throne, then what is he? Like, it's a, it's a very vulnerable position. And they could have sown those seeds in a little more clearly, I think. I feel like green sympathies are being entirely distilled into Alicent by having her start off not wanting this, not being the overly ambitious lady she's betrayed us in the books where she's seems to be entirely lockstep with her father um which makes me interested as to whether there will get up to a point where she is entirely acting in accord with the hands but yeah we will see that's what i'm interested in the future for i think we got to get to the point that that line about um if rhaenyra takes the throne she and daemon will kill aegon and aemond and what's the lowest one daron they'll find a way to off all of them and their and Aegon's kids, I think that has to ring true, at least from the seat of of the Greens. It, it has to ring true at the time for this story to work the way they've set it up. Well, on that note, I think we'll move on to the last bit. 
which is uh, the storyline on the Stepstones with Damon. So Damon seeks glory and tries to win the Stepstones back. The campaign is, however, about to fail when he receives a missive from the king, who has chosen to save his little brother out of the mess he's gotten himself into. Instead, in, la in a last effort to turn the tides of war, he offers himself as bait. And now the crab feeder is no more. Holy shit, do I have um, less words, but more just like emotional noises of <laughs> what I think about this battle and how he resolves to do it. So, okay, first off, Damon rows himself over to that beach as a lure. I'm going to assume he was meant to be a lure, and then he goes out with the white flag, bends the knee with the sword under the pretense that these guys are going to, like, take him as a prisoner, when this is the crab feeder who's, like, how do you even know he's going to take you prisoner and they're not just going to immediately fill you with <laughs> arrows? You know um, what I was thinking at this point, Michael? I was like, is the crab feeder signed up to the Geneva Peace Convention? Because I don't think yeah. so. I don't think so. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. And... Yeah, all, yeah, all yeah. Unlikely. <laughs> Unless there's the the crab clause in the Geneva Articles, um, <laughs> and then he starts sprinting faster than these arrows can hit him. And um, uh, why didn't someone else someone else go ahead and tell me what you think? They wore helmets. That's good. <laughs> it's bad writing. In Game of Thrones, that the penultimate episodes of each season which used to have a battle used to be so epic and so good and so well thought out and this was just like it was like playing a video game but on the easy settings so like it's stormtroopers all the arrows fail to hit it was the most <laughs> stupid thing i've ever seen in my life i mean he had cover um, no I, not all the way i literally he was running out in the open like, for large stretches where arrows were just raining down around him He's gone to the Prometheus school of running away from arrows. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> what was the tactic? Like, was it to immediately draw out these soldiers so that that um, sea smoke can then come around and fire all these soldiers? Like, yeah, it takes and forever the... for the backup to arrive and for the dragon to start doing shit. Like, ugh. leading up to this, I had a big bone to pick with, and again, I think it's just missed writing opportunities but Damon receives the message from the king and he starts to beat the messenger which is what happens when he's in the veil and hears that he's named Rhaenyra heir to put it here seemed so cold and I did not understand the point that they were trying to make like what is he mad that backup is finally coming like well this is his war but it's just well, as it's you said with the Rhaenyra story where it's just repetitive, right? So, you know, second episode, she falls out with the dad. He says, sorry, they make up. Same happens in episode three. And it's the same here. Episode two, someone says he can't have something. So he goes off in a little huff to an island and does something stupid and has a little temper tantrum like a two-year-old. And it's the same here. He's gone to fight a war. It's a bit shit. His big bro says he's going to come and help him out. He thinks that makes him look like he has a small penis, so he has a little temper tantrum and goes berserker. It's like it doesn't advance. We don't know more about Damon at the end of this episode than we do at the start. Mm, Not correct. one thing. Not okay. One. I feel like I knew more about the in the beginning of the episode, the man staked to the driftwood, having the clowns put on. I felt like that person, that extra basically, had more character developed. My prince is coming, save me, and then he gets squished. I felt like I knew more about him than I knew about oh. any other single character in this. I heard more about him. I felt genuinely yeah. bad when he got Jurassic Parked off, off the island, so, you know. Yeah. Kudos to that actor, by the way. Can we all just applaud? What a performance in that short bit. There's yeah. your Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I put a tweet in the chat about that, that um, basically it was like, and this is why you don't stand politicians about the the dragon crushing and i was like yep that's that's a true statement don't don't stand politician so i expressed my frustration with that battle and the choreography and i you know that was fantastic like what did we learn about damon especially when he gets some more responsibility later in the story you kind of see how much of what he does is because he's like this like intelligent capable but also dangerous targaryen who's just constantly like sidelined and can't 
get in the right spot where once he does get that power, he's he's pretty cautious and wise. Like we haven't seen any inklings of that yet, which is frustrating. So one positive on the battle that I thought they did really well. I really like the characterization of Lanor to this point. I thought it was so Knights of Summer. After the battle, I like my friend and I looked at each other and we were like, it felt like like they've given Lanor this vibe of like uh, what we in Tennessee call cul-de-sac cowboys, which are like these rich kids that live in the suburbs and they turn 16 and their parents buy them a $70,000 lifted truck. They think that they're like big, tough rednecks. I got so many vibes of that from Lanor. And I'm just, I'm interested to see, honestly, if like next episode, he has to like go smell the bodies that he burned and, and like reckon with what he just did. Even the way he said Dracarys was almost like a little kid playing a video game. Like, and I just, I yeah. really like, I really liked that characterization because it's, it just reminded you that he's like this so privileged, like the richest family in the realm. He has a dragon. He just is the height of privilege. And Dracarys all getting, wrong. <laughs> yeah. Get him, Al. Get him. <laughs> but I, I, I just thought that rang so true and it rang so Martin. It just rang so George R. R. Martin to what his character would be when you factor all that stuff in. Wasn't it his idea to offer uh, Damon as bait? I think he came up with the idea. They talked about it and then he said, no, you can't do that. And then the whole thing where Damon freaks out about a, a, a piece of paper. Yeah, I think that's how it happened. It was but, kind of his plan, but... I mean, but, it, but it also shows but, him shows that he might actually have some worth as a warrior, as a fighter, uh, at least, or as a tactician. I think that's, that in the that's book. if you that's if you agree that it, it is a good tactic. But I think not everyone here uh, agrees. If it works. It works. You know. <laughs> yeah, it works because of because <laughs> plot. But <laughs> he was he was smart enough to know that Damon had like enormous amounts of plot armor. He was like, "We'll just yeah. send this guy in." <laughs> well. I mean, hey, he might have been willing to risk Damon's life, too. Yeah. He may have been. Hey, that's one less uh, Dragon Rider to contend with, as my family vies for power. But um, I don't think it's necessarily a terrible plan. It's just the way they did it in the show. And why was like why was he not like directly above, like in the clouds, watching what happened? Or, you know, somewhat. Like, he just should have been closer by to get there faster. But they strung it out for drama. And, y'all, see smoke is so pretty. That blue. So pretty. And then he's yeah. got a little... He's got a little goatee. He's got a little, I don't know if y'all saw it. Like seeing the stills, he's got a little goatee that sticks down, like fits perfectly with the cul-de-sac cowboy vibe. He had a distinctive face to the other dragons we've seen so far. That was nice. i like to add for a short that effective range of a medieval bow of, of that make what it looks like at least is like 100 yards. So it, it w- they would not been shooting very um, effectively at him. At that range. Yes, but I think we know the physics in this world are different than ours. Oh, is it? Oh. It is known. Um, yeah, is known. but that's, they also, <laughs> is, that, is that why they also only sent guys at Damon one or two at a time? It seems like right. maybe sending 12, 12 guys at Damon might have been the, uh, might have been the move. Right. I will say to the end, like he's alone. I mean, let, let him come to you if you want, but why, why send warriors uh, on the outside? I mean, doesn't make that much sense right especially after in the last episode corliss trying to advise the king saying you know when there's when you're at sea and there's a storm coming you can go into it you could try to sail around it but you don't let it come to you like they could have done more to connect those two ideas and and make this like we're sailing we're going to sail into the storm like going around it's not working and we can't we can't let it come to us uh, i don't know but going back to bina's point of um the the difference between the this battle scene and and like in the main series where we would always see these epic battles and they just felt so big obviously except for that one with rob in the westerlands i will say to be fair to the show they might be trying to spare as much of the budget for the rest of the major uh, steps in the dance for that so a battle you don't need a battle here why do we need a battle in the third episode unnecessary what in this episode, strictly speaking, was necessary to propel it forward? I needed the battle. Sorry, I needed. <laughs> I needed to see some blood and some dragons. Yeah. So honey. yeah. Yes. So, and so, see, so, I was so, missing the nudity. Where was the nudity? Yeah. I did. I didn't want the nudity. I just want dragon porn. 
I'd much so, rather have boobies than battles. Okay. I would well, do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, this episode was as useless as nipples on a breastplate. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Did you all have fun listening to the after show where they were explaining what Damon was thinking and what he was going through and how this was showing the evolution of his character and I was just like whatever yeah they've, they've drunk the rain Kool-Aid haven't they talking oh shit so they, they just and that really is worrying I mean that's worrying for future episodes and that's yeah that's so like D&D right there that's like classic them after season five like if you have to watch the post show thing to understand the way the episode was put together, you have a problem. Yeah, and that's my point, that I, I spent so much of this episode wondering how and why. It's evidently not working for me. Is there going to be a time jump between this episode and the next one? Likely. Yeah, there'll have to be some. I think that is part of what's weird about this season, too, is, like, basically, the Rogue Prince covers, and sort of this part of Fire and Blood, is several chapters that cover, like, 25 years, right? and then. Or like a chapter or two that covered 25 years. And then, you know, the, the Princess and the Queen is a story that's two years long that will probably be like the remaining three seasons. So I think to Hannah's point, that is a weird more that is a weird format to like sort of have this almost like anthology feel to season one. And then it'll get a lot more condensed after that. Are we going to come into the next episode? I was wondering this as I finished it. I'm like, Jesus, are we going to come in on the next deal? And Rhaenyra and Damon are already together. Like, or are we going to see that? It's well, no. <laughs> There's some have things we that have to happen. That. So then we can't jump forward too far, really. I will yeah. say, for as much as I did not like this episode, um, I still love the costuming. Well done. I really, yeah. really, really love it. And I think it's even better than some of the stuff we've seen in the main series. Yeah, I mean, it's it's why it still gets, you know, the lemon cakes it gets, because it's still great. But I think it's, um, I think the problem is, is we're so spoiled in this great age of TV, right? You look at the production values on Rings of Power, and I feel that it's almost become like table stakes. Like, I just expect the costumes to be amazing and the visuals to be amazing now. We're just very spoiled. The two visual things that I wanted to mention, though, I really loved Viserys's, like, the, like, black shirt with the black dragon on it i thought that was cool like it was just like the texture and then the other was when rhaenyra was riding a horse that looked like danny silver and she was dressed in all black and then Kristen was chasing her on an all-black horse and he was wearing all white it just felt very like chess or like cybass <laughs> like just to to have like this reminder of this is a personal scene but like there's also politicking going on that um, just have those two colors like alternating like that created a very visual representation of the way personal and politic combine in this world. Yeah, I think I think the long and the short of it, really, like in summation, I feel like we we need to see. You know, I'm not I'm not giving up quite yet, but I really hope oh, this no, episode no, no. is not the the tenor set for the rest of the series. I hope this is just a a one-off that this will be the low point is my hope for it, it does it does amuse me though to see the gulf opening between dragon and wolf cast because they were so flipping upbeat about this episode i mean they were giving it like fours fights maybe i should go over there so thank you for uh, all your very interesting points we it was not an episode uh, an episode of this podcast where we actually ended up being in agreement i think that there is a as you just said there is a, a divide in opinion, not just between Dragon and Wolfcast, but maybe also also a slightly dissent within the, the Wolfcast ranks. Hopefully, we will be, be able to unify for the next episode, if it shows to be less divisive at least. But on that note, why won't, why don't we just uh, end it with an Aru? And if you uh, if you want to join into the discussion, you can uh, find us on on Discord. You can also, if you're really keen, you can also try to um, you know say that you want to join next episode or one of the the future episodes that we have here. We are a very welcome welcoming uh, community, and we enjoy everyone's input. 
Patrick, I just wanted to say thank you for hosting and for doing up the show notes. I appreciate you. Yeah, massive thank you, Patrick, for taking over last minute and for imposing far more order on it than I would have done. So really appreciate it. I I do like order. Um, by the way, there is another little cute bit in um, the episode, or maybe the most cute bit, was when Sir Kristen Cole is just thanking Rhaenyra for making him a gold cloak and that suddenly his family is now written in the Great Book and that's such a major moment for him. I thought that was quite touching. I wonder how far they're going to play that angle of the rumours about them. I guess they're setting it up. They've been doing so from episode one. but Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It feels like, they're, they're don't, is that necessary? Like, that's not even canon. I want Rhaenyra to have uh, some good the, ru- rumors, the rumors are canon. Yeah. Isn't it Mushroom? Mushroom says that happened. Also. Well, he say that they bang, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, he says so, no, that. No, it's not what people do, but it's, I don't think it's ever. No, it's not confirmed, I mean, but nothing's I mean, confirmed in, in the histories. He, he he just says, well, someone says this, and the other one says this. I, I don't believe this, though. So you can't be sure that it's not true at all. In any case, we need fodder for the rumors to to be salient. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. I guess that, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm with you on that. Please don't apologize for saying interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, but, <laughs> but Kevin, you shouldn't say more interesting things than me. That's one thing. <laughs> I mean, come on, Patrick. The bar is on the floor. Like, I'll- <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh, I love Vox.